You guys can have a seat. Uh, I'm going to borrow this. Is that cool? Okay, it is now. Um, I was picking up lumber one time for my dad. He owned a construction company, and I worked for him, uh, which meant I messed up a lot of projects for him. Uh, and so what he ended up doing was sending me on errands, so I became the go-to-Home Depot worker. Uh, and so this one time, I was at uh, Ganal Lumber, picking up lumber for a house we were building. As I, as, we're, as I was picking up the lumber, the guy's going through the order, making sure I've gotten everything, because I've, I've gone before and forgotten some things and had to make another trip. And so he's going through, check, 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 and he hasn't looked at me yet, but he's looking at all the, the pieces that we ordered. And then finally, he looks up and he does a double take, which is always a little weird, uh, because someone looks at you and they go, oh, wow. It's like, oh, no, what did I do? And he looks at me and goes, Wow. You look like your dad. You're Dale's boy, aren't you? And I said, uh, yes, I am. And I, we tend to look like him, yes. And he goes, man, you look just like him. That's so weird. He must be very proud of that. And I said, yeah, he is. He, he better be. Uh, but he was and he is. And, and, but there was something about looking like dad. All, my sister looks like him. My brothers both look like him. We all have these character traits of him. My mom says that all she did was carry us and birth us. And we ended up looking like our dads. But we have her sense of humor, which for some people is great. Uh, for some other people, you just don't get it. And so you'll come around. But we have, we have these traits of our parents and it's this interesting thing to look at, to look at my dad or listen to some of the things my dad said and then starting to hear them in me. It's like, oh man, I'm turning into my father. And then I look at my 10 and a half month old son and go, you poor child, you have traits already of mine. You are, hopefully you'll grow out of these. Uh, but it's interesting to see us look like our parents and see our kids look like us. And it makes me go back to how we all as humans were created and that very special line in creation that said, in his image, God created humans. We all look like our heavenly father. In creation, we were meant to look like him. As we're going through this constant series, and we're, today we're going to look at humanity. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be one of us? What is our role as humans and how are we special from the rest of the creation? In the first part in creation, we look like God. We look like our creator. We look like our father. In Genesis 1, and we'll be jumping all through scripture, so it'll be on the screen. In Genesis 1, that first slide, Dave, it says, uh, so God created humans in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then in the restatement of creation in Genesis 2, God says this, Then the Lord formed man and woman from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. It's an interesting passage, especially when you compare it to the rest of the creation narrative. In all the other ones, all God did was speak. He said, let there be light. And an angel goes in the back and flips the light switch and boom, there's light. And he says, let there be birds. And the birds start coming around. And he says, let the bottom of the earth separate from the top of the earth. Let's get land masses and lakes and oceans. And all of this was done from him speaking. God spoke these words into existence. 
But when it comes to you and I, when it comes to the last day, he forms us. He didn't just speak, he formed. He shaped us. He shaped Adam and Eve from the dust of the ground. And then it says, he breathed into them life. All the other ones were spoken. We are a little different. We were breathed. We were formed. We were shaped. When God breathed into us, he breathed into us his very own essence, his image. And so when he says we created humans, we created them in his image so that we would look like him. The image of God, where we find our sense of morality, where we find our need for community, where we find our ability to have free will and think for ourselves, these are things of God's image. Our very breath comes from God. And so he creates us to look like him. He creates us in his image. And to top it all off, at the end of it all, he says, and I did a good job at it. And so when you were created, you were created to look like the one who created you. You weren't just some random chance. The breath in your lungs is a gift from God. Your ability to think, your ability to reason, your intellect, your will are all parts of the image that's upon you. It sets us away from the rest of creation, no matter how valuable you think your cat is. It is not a human there is a difference between you and the animal kingdom. And God's proud of you. At my gym, we have a brag board. And when you do something good, like when you hit your goal or do something like that, you can go put your name on the brag board and what you did and, 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 and then sign it, your weight or something. And so the other last Tuesday, I was able to finally put something on the brag board. I was finally proud of something. And so I walked over there and put Brad, that's me, Back squat, 395, and an exclamation point. And I walked away. I was proud of it. That's a lot for me. And so when, when, when I look at that and I go, I'm, I'm proud of what I did. And I think what creation tells us is that when God made us in his image, he walks over to the brag board in heaven and says, humans, my image, God. He's proud of you. He's proud of what he made. Deep inside of you is the image of God that can never go away. That is the core of who you are. We talked about identity a few weeks ago. This might seem a little bit repetitive, but when we talk about humanity, we have to get this right. So he creates us in his image. Good, proud of us. Is it any wonder then that when disruption comes on the scene, it's a very attack of that image? Satan's lie to Eve wasn't a lie to bring them into disobedience. It wasn't something uh, that, was, uh, that was total rebellion. What it was was a question that he placed in their minds. In Genesis 3, 4, look at it. It says, you will not certainly die, said the serpent. For God knows that when you eat when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do we see the lie there? Adam and Eve, if you're familiar with the story in Genesis 1, were not going to die. The only time that they were going to die is if they did what the serpent Satan told them to do and eat the fruit. 
So he's already telling them a lie. He said, you're not going to die. Yes, you will. Because when you go away from what God intended there, you will surely die. And then he leads this question in their mind. You will be like God. Uh, Problem. Adam and Eve already were like God. The image of God was still on them. So what Satan does is he just brings out that question and says, are you really? He starts bringing that seed of doubt into their mind, telling them they're lacking something. They're missing something. They're not complete. And the thing is, Satan's attack on us today is the same attack he had on them in the Garden of Eden. The same is true at the core of every temptation that we come to is a calling away from what we might think brings us life. And it causes us to move away from that image that God puts on your heart, that image that isn't going away. And from this point on in scripture, what you see is evidence of that disruption. We see murders in the very next chapter. We see hatred. We see people being divided. We see a flood. We see evidence of the disruption, evidence that we're not living into what is actually we are. And then in Judges 21, it'll be on the screen behind me, it kind of fulfills or brings everything to a head. It says, in those days, Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. Everyone was rebelling because we were ignoring what God had originally said about us. And when we ignore that image, we tend to go on our own way and allow other things to define. We allow other things to tempt and we allow other things to lead us away. Every problem that we see in society, every problem that we see around us is because we, we have failed to realize ourselves as image bearers and evidence of the disruption is everywhere. Stand in a Safeway checkout line. Glance at the magazines. What do you see? Picture-perfect airbrushed people. You can have this body in 10 days. You can have Jennifer Aniston's hair, if that's still a thing. You can have this. You can look like this. You can be like this your best life now, or whatever it is. All, all of them are telling us that in a subliminal way, we aren't good enough. Even though those images that we see on the screens or on, on the billboards, on the television screens, on the magazine racks, even though all of those people are airbrushed and made up and computer generated to the max, deep inside it tells each, each one of us that we're missing something that we don't have anything figured out, that we're never going to be good enough, and we don't have an extra 10 minutes to get abs. All of them are pounding that image into us that you're not enough. And we wonder why when we look at our high schools and our colleges and even into some of our homes today, we have body image problems. We wonder why we have eating disorders. We wonder why we never feel adequate or we're anxious because we never have enough, or we're never complete. It's because all around us, the questioning, Satan's tactics of you are not okay is still being pounded into our brains. The image of disruption, the disruption of the image is still around us. It shows in our society, too, the way we value people, 
the ones who make the biggest change in our society, teachers, social workers, uh, doctors, nurses. Uh, we have the uh, first responders. They're the ones we, if we acknowledge the least, right? We don't notice them. But an athlete, a politician, a corrupt business person, those ones are the ones who get praise. They get paid the highest. Celebrities are elevated and their opinions mean more than anybody's, right? It's because we've elevated these people. When we elevate those people, we think we can never be just like them. So what's the point of even trying? The pictures of disruption are everywhere and we're flooded with these images. And most of the time, we don't even tend to notice it because we're so used to it. And the call of temptation, the call of Satan, the back in the garden is the same one today, and it calls us to fall for a cheap substitute. The same challenge we face today is the same challenge Adam and Eve faced. But in the middle of that challenge, there is hope. Amidst the disruption, we come to what brings us hope. And the hope is that the image of God that we don't think is on us any longer is still there. It's still around us. It's in us still. Theologians like to argue about this. Some will say that the image of God was purged from humanity when we sinned. Those guys are wrong. Don't believe them. Uh, but... The image of God, in my opinion, and other theologians' opinion, the right ones, will say the image of God has always been there. It never went away. It was never fractured. Yes, it was covered up by mud and muck of sin, and the disruption hid it from our eyes. But the image of God was there even after the fall of sin. Look in Genesis 5. Uh, this, is after the, this is two chapters after the fall. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he gave and named them mankind when they were created. He made them in the likeness of God. This is two chapters after the fall, and they're still being called image bearers. In Genesis 9, whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For the image of God, for in the image of God, God has made mankind. After the fall, six chapters later, still called the image of God. Both of these verses tell us that even though we have sin, even though we feel disrupted, there is still hope that the image remains. And the hope of uncovering that image is only found through Christ. It's through Christ that we don't have to live in the disruption of humanity any longer. Let me show you what I mean. If you have your Bibles, it'll be on the screens, but go to Colossians. In Colossians, Paul is elevating Christ and saying Jesus is the fulfillment of everything. He is bringing everything back together. And in chapter 3, he talks about how he's bringing humans back together and reconciling us. In, in verse 1, Paul says this, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not earthly things. For you died, for your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I had to go to grammar to understand a little bit about this. You see three tenses in this passage. You see past, present, and future. I don't know if there's any other tenses. I've 
not a very smart person. But we have the three tenses shown here. The first one is past, for you died. Sorry, you're all dead in some sense. The tense implies that something definitive has happened to you, for you have died. In the original language, the original meaning was that this past tense about you, for you died, is always with you no matter where you go. So in one sense, we have a part of us that is dead. Then the next part is present tense. He says, you are hidden with Christ in God. There's a lot of prepositions there. But as you stand here right now, you are both dead and with Christ in God. Then the last part is a future tense. When Christ appears in, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will, will appear with him in glory. Future. Past, dead, present, with Christ, hidden with him. Future, when Christ is, when Christ is revealed, you will be revealed. Scriptures talk about those who follow Jesus in a very unique way. Those who follow with him identify with Christ, and they have been joined with him in mysterious ways. In Romans, it says that we have joined with him in death and in his resurrection. In Galatians, Paul says that we've been crucified with Christ and that we no longer live, but Christ lives within us. There is this crazy thing that happens when we follow Jesus. It's not just that we're forgot, our sins are forgotten, as amazing as that is, but there's something deeper that's taken place. Our image of God, the one that's been there all along, is restored and unearthed within us. It's past, meaning that the old self that we have, Paul calls it a sin nature, is dead. Has no more power over any one of us. Yes, we still sin. It doesn't mean that sin nature's coming back. That's just the residue of it all. You are, that part of you is dead and gone, and forever long you shall live. That part will never change. It's present. We are now with Christ, and the future of it is that we will be revealed in glory. What Paul is really getting at is that what, what he's saying is that whatever is true of you now is true of you because of Christ. And it's so true of you that it swallows up every inadequacy that we might feel about ourselves. Every part where you feel you're lacking gets swallowed up, devoured, taken away, done away with. It's dead. And he says, now you are seen with Christ in God. And when Jesus is revealed in glory, you will be seen with him. So we have that hope, but it's also a hope that we can live into now and have the culmination of all things. Paul reveals it and relates it to a glory that we all possess now, and we have to show it. Look at, and Scripture talks about us who are in Christ in certain ways. And do me a favor, look at the people next to you. Look down your row. Do they, uh, now this is how we're described. When you're hidden in Christ with God, those people in your row, do they look like ministers? Do they look, well, maybe they might be believers. Do they look like priests? It's okay to say no. That's fine. Do they look holy? Careful. <laughs> uh, you're looking at your husband. Good. Yes. This is how Christ, 
This is how we look like in Christ. Believers, holy, acceptable, righteous. When you look in the mirror, when you wake up in the morning, are these the first thoughts that come to your head? No. But that's who you are. Because your life is hidden with Christ in God. All that bad stuff has been dead and taken out. You are now those things. Scripture says that you are this. Everything bad about you has been, has been swallowed up. And scriptures are clear about this. Because you are hidden in Christ with God, nowhere in scriptures are believers referred to as sinners. They're always called saints. When Paul writes a letter to the Ephesians, he says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and fruitful and faithful in Christ Jesus. What's he call the believers? They're sinners? Saints. Philippians, he says this, Paul and Timothy, this is who's writing it, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ who are in Philippi, grace and peace. So how does the New Testament refer to you? Saints. You are all Saints, You're not sinners, yet when we refer to ourselves in conversations, and I've heard us say this, we say, I'm just a measly, no good, dirty sinner. But that's not who you are. In the New Testament, we are identified by saints. And it's, this is important. Your primary identity, who you are in Christ, is not the way that you have been disrupted. We have the hope and we get to live into that hope and that culmination of all things because we are defined by whose image is on our hearts. God himself. We've never stopped looking like him. Yet we identify ourselves this way. Look at our worship songs that we sing. There is nothing good in me. Why would we sing that? Because we have the image of God on our hearts, there is something good in you. It's God's image. Yet we are so busy defining ourselves the other way that we forget who you are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5:17 says it this way: So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, everything has become new. Many of us will walk around and start identifying ourselves as our sin. Are you an addict? Yes, in some senses you are an addict, but that's not how Christ sees you. Stop defining yourself as an addict. Sure, there are some things that you struggle with. You always will, but that's not who you are. Your life has been swallowed up. The past has been dead, but none of us can see it. That's why it's still hidden. If we trust God's word on anything, we have to trust it here. The work of Christ has done an incredible work on our behalf, and this is how we're defined. We're one of his now. Paul says, here is what's true of you, and now live in light of it. How many of you have seen a scary movie three or four times? The scariness sort of goes away. How many of you watch scary movies? I know a couple of you do. Or how about those tense movies where you're not sure what's going to happen and then you go back and start watching it again? The tenseness, the question, the mystery goes away, right? You're no longer scared if Denzel Washington is actually going to make it or if whoever's going to get away with this crime. We don't, we, you, you know what's going to happen. 
But when you watch it for the fourth or fifth time, you're no longer at the edge of your seat. You're confident knowing that the main character is going to live. But the person who doesn't, who's never seen it before, is a little bit on edge. This is how Paul wants us to go through life. We know what our future looks like, so we no longer have to worry about this outcome anymore. We know one thing about ourselves, and it should change the way that we live here on out because we've seen the ending. In other words, uh, another way to put it is, when I hit puberty, this is a lot of information, I was 12. I was 12 years old. If someone were to show me a videotape of my wedding day when I was 12, how would have it changed my whole life until I was 30, 18 years? It would have changed everything. I wouldn't have taken that stupid class in college that I failed in order to get that girl's attention. Wouldn't have done it. It would have changed my decisions. It would have changed the way I thought of myself because I would have known what was going to happen at the end. Paul's saying the same thing here. Your life hidden with Christ in God. You know what's going to happen. The future tense, you will be revealed with Christ in glory. This is how it's going to end. Now, live like this. Because this is already true of you. The goodness that Christ shows us is already true. And now we just get to live into the future instead of being defined by the past. Because we know the end of the story, it changes our lives in the meantime. It doesn't mean that we never struggle. It doesn't mean we don't sin. It means that when we do, we confess it and we live on. We live on because we already have it. We don't live on because we're trying to earn it. The trap that Satan wants us to fall into is the one where we simply start to define ourselves by our hang-ups. Want, he wants us to define ourselves by our past. And God simply says, that's not who you are. And when you get caught up in those hang-ups, you're actually acting out of character. We wake up in the morning and we're faced with two decisions. Either we wake up and we're trying to obey and wanting to obey and fight against sin because we feel like God is watching us and in order to gain his approval, we have to act a certain way. We wake up, our feet are on the ground, we start earning and doing and doing and doing and doing. Or you get up, put your feet on the ground and live like you already have that approval. Which is more freeing? trying to earn, trying to grasp, or living because you've already earned it. You already have it. It's already in you because you are with Christ, hidden with Christ in God. And the future is going to reveal that when God looks at you, he's going to see his image of Christ on your life, and he's proud of you. Your name is still on that brag board in heaven. No matter what you do, no matter what you've done, it still says your name, Anna, my image, God. Allison, my image, God. Craig, my image, God. That's who you are. And it changes the way we engage with our neighbors. It changes the way we engage with our community around us.
It calls us to something. Just because your name is on the brag board doesn't mean you, don't, you, you stop doing things. No, my name's on the brag board at my gym. I'm going back tomorrow, and I'm going to get better. I see that, and I want to improve on it. Your name's there. You, your name's already sitting there. Now you just get to live into it. That's who you are. It invites you to more. You've already got it. Now live into it more. Someone looks at you, and they say, you look like you're God. You look like Christ. That's who you resemble. And nothing can ever take that away. And today we're going to end by having taking communion. And the thought I want us uh, to go through, and you're all invited to come, is when you take communion, I, I want you to, to realize that this bread that, that we take it symbolizes Christ's death and, and for us. And in that, he said, you're good enough to die for you're good enough to come after. And then when we dip it in the, in the cup, you're good enough to live for. You're good enough for this. The image of God is still there. And he loves you enough to die and resurrect so that you can have that same life. And then we'll eat it and remember and then we will praise him. Praise him like the saints because that's who we are.